Hi, I'm John Daniels and welcome to How to Use Influence Ethically in Sales. Often, I get asked how I personally close deals and the honest answer isn't that I never plan it, I just go with the flow of whatever situation I'm in with a view of getting the predetermined result I need. What I've done is build up a nice big toolbox and tips and techniques that I fully understand and know when to use. So when putting together a masterclass on influence, I felt the best way to help you grow your influencing skills was just to brain dump a load of techniques I've personally used. The result of this was 28 different methods of influence that you can take away from the next hour or so and use straight away to boost your sales. This is a rapid fire audio, so just sit back and relax with some pen and paper and jot down any ideas that you get while listening to this. These 28 methods have come from my 12 years of working in sales environments, from starting out as a barman when I was at university, to my first job in telesales, to my first failed attempt at running a business, and then having to go back and work in corporate face-to-face sales. There are even some techniques I've learned from everyday life or noticed other people using that I've added to my toolbox and copied off them. Now, before I begin with the tips, I also recommend you read a book called Influence, The Science of Persuasion by Dr. Robert Cialdini. Cialdini is the leading authority on influence, and he discovered there are six patterns of behavior that can be triggered in people to get an automatic response. Now, I will refer to these six patterns in my tips as examples of how they can be used. I don't want to go in depth about these principles on this audio. I suggest you read the book by the expert himself to get the further understanding about what I'm teaching you in this masterclass. This masterclass is giving you the tools that you can go away and use yourself straight away. So let's crack straight on with tip one. Begin with the outcome in mind and follow your plan. Now, you probably know the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. One of the habits is to always begin with the end in mind. So, whatever stage you're in of the sales process, make sure you understand the one action you wish to influence the customer into taking. I'm shocked by the number of business owners I've come across who do not have a sales map of how a lead becomes a client. You won't just turn up and say, here's some money on a consistent basis. You have to let them get to know you and like you first. You have to earn their trust and create an environment where they want to buy from you. You don't actually have to sell to them then. So you need a sales map of how you take a lead through the meet, know, like, trust process so they all end up in a situation of wanting to buy from you. And then at the end stage of the map, you know clearly what action you you wish your prospect to take. So, for example, I normally offer a free report to start a relationship off and give people an experience of who I am and what I do that can help them. I might then send them a video or an audio clip so they can hear more from me. It all builds that relationship to an incredibly valuable level of trust. Okay, tip number two. Offering a choice with an assumed result of buying. I actually learned this from my good friend Pierre from how he handled his kids at bedtime and when he was trying to get them to brush his teeth. He would tell me every day that getting the kids to bed was becoming a longer and longer process and they would resist every opportunity and turn things into a bigger deal. So something like trying to get to brush his teeth just became a complete nightmare for him. So what he would start doing was telling them he would read them the story before they go to sleep but he would say it like this. 
Are you going to brush your teeth before or after I read you a story? This is a double bind technique. One of Cialdini's principles is commitment. With the question Pierre asked his kids, he was assuming they were going to brush their teeth. The choice for them was when they were going to do it. By answering the question, the kids are committed to doing something and therefore the fighting about it stopped. So, when I was selling business-to-business -business electricity, I would say to people, do you want a fixed or flexible contract? Once I answered the question, the commitment to doing a deal had started because they had already made that choice that they were going to do a deal, they just had to choose which one they were going to do. Okay, so get tip three. I told you this was rapid fire. So, tip three, offering contrasts on prices. Cialdini gives the example of if you wanted to put your left hand in a bucket of cold water and your right hand in a bucket of hot water, then what would happen if you put both hands in a bucket of room temperature water? Well, your left hand would think it was warm and your right hand would think it was cold. This is a contrasting view on the same thing. Now, this concept can be used in sales in two ways. Firstly, you can get the really high price bit of your negotiating completed before adding lower price bolt-ons that they don't really seem that too much in comparison to what you just agreed. For example, um, you used to pay £2.88 for a Big Mac meal in McDonald's. They would then go, oh, do you want to go large option for 30p? 30p for a lot more meal at a lot less than the original £2.88 sounds. It, it's a good deal. But that's mostly all profit for the company. Likewise, you might get this from a car salesman who agreed a basic package for you for a car. Then you might start selling you extras like air conditioning or heated seats. You also get this when buying a sofa or washing machines. You were ready to spend, say, like 600 quid on the main item, then you would offer insurance for £30. And you're like, well, what's another £30 on £600? The second way to use this is to get a buy-in and offer at a really high price. So the whole pitch is framed to sell a really high price item. You get the agreement from the customer that they understand the price you could sell it at, then you drop the price considerably to the level you actually want to achieve so the deal just becomes a no-brainer to sign up to. This is why your first offer should always be higher than the one you want to achieve. You have to have a little bit of room to wiggle if required. Another place this is used with the state agents. You can tell them the type of house that you like, then they show you something completely inappropriate that you hate, we're all showing you something that you asked for. And this is the contrast principle. It's forcing you to remain consistent to what you asked for in the first place. Tip number four. Take control of setting the scenario and cover off objections in advance. This tip I got from a guy called Dan Bradbury who has done extremely well in the consulting and coaching world. Dan talks a lot about pre-framing. This is where you set the whole scene for what you are doing and every bit of communication is building the value towards what your desired outcome is. You then cover off any potential objections before they are asked. So if something complicated is coming up, Dan would say something like this. This is so simple only an idiot wouldn't get it. This means if someone doesn't understand it, they would feel like an idiot, so they do their best to understand it. Also, because his frame the situation as simple, he's therefore placing the belief into the prospect's heads that the next concept coming up is simple and not complicated. He's pre-framed it. Another great example of this is, I learned, is about telling people some potentially bad news. In, in the case of Dan Bradbury, he would do something like, if he knew he was going to be home late, he would ring his wife and say, I'm not going to be home until 7pm instead of 5pm as agreed, which would be 
an hour or so longer than he knew he was really going to be. But what he did know is that when he walked in at 6pm, it was actually seen as a good thing because he was an hour earlier than he had said earlier in his phone call. I started to use this myself when coming back from customer meetings when I work. I would overstate my expected return time, get an extra little bit of time in the car to listen to my CDs, and still get back in long before I said my stated return time would be, so I look really committed to the course. That's quite sneaky. Hey, tip number five. This tip is a bit obvious sounding, but most people I know who I come across don't do it. You've heard the phrase, knowledge is power. Well, this isn't quite true, because see, knowledge is only power if you use it. I said in the last tip that pre-framing can make you massively influential to lead people to your desired outcome. Well, when you're out selling, you will consistently come across objections to what you are doing and offering. If you make a note of every single objection that you get, you can learn to reframe them, and you can prepare a response that will put you back on track to what you want. If someone gives you an objection, it will come up again and again. If you can answer it confidently, and certainly, you will smash straight through. You can even cover off the objection before it's asked in future. This is a great way to build your confidence about what you are selling. And it gives you comfort that for any new objection that comes up, it will never be a bad thing, as you know you have ways of dealing with it. Any new objection actually makes you stronger. I used to make sure we had a weekly sales meeting in my team, and objections were also on the agenda. Everyone would say what had come out in a previous week and how they handled it, or they would get the team to help put a response together for next time. So as a team, we would learn all from, from each other's objections. All feedback is a good thing, as long as you are prepared to take the action that will make you stronger. Tip number six, never be afraid to walk away or refuse people. You're not going to be able to please all the people all the time. People will try to get as much out of you for free as possible and still moan about it. Just accept it. That's the life of a business owner. You have to give these people the right to judge you. It's, it's how it works. It's like people who go on um, reality TV shows and uh, the public are voting against them. By going on the show, you have given the public the right to judge you. You have to accept that's just part of the cause. You can't sit there and moan about it. Well, it's like as a business owner, you are going to be judged by your, by your prospects and the people that you want to turn to customers. You're not going to please everyone. It is your choice how you respond to these judgments. As long as the people you really want to buy from you are buying from you, you can exclude and just walk away from the rest. Don't spend any time worrying about them. Focus on the people you know that you do make very happy. Just make sure you continue to offer amazing value to the people you want to do business with and be confident. Because if you're coming across as desperate, people will only buy from you as they feel sorry for you. You won't get any serious business, and it won't be consistent. Another great guy I've learned from is a guy called James Labors of Distance Persuasion fame. You may have heard of him. This is the guy that helped the great Tony Robbins sell thousands of pounds of extra products in just an eight-minute encounter. One of the principles James teaches is to actually exclude people you don't want to work with in your sales pitch. He says you should say something like, if you're the type of person who just wants to sit and wait for the phone to ring, then this program isn't for you. This means people will either dequalify themselves if not interested, and they will leave you just the hot prospects, or they will make that commitment that they are interested, and then go, oh, I better become a buyer because I am the, I'm the type of person who wants to get on with this program. 
Peter Thompson, who's another great uh, UK business growth consultant, he once sent out an email with the subject of don't work with costs and part of his database unsubscribed and a few clients stopped using him. But he was okay with it because he said they're obviously tossers. He excluded the people he didn't want to work with. Don't be afraid to take your services away from people who aren't serious about what you can do. Don't waste time on people who don't like you. Tip number seven, using the word but to your advantage. This is a great little tip they learned from Jamie Smart, the excellent uh, NLP language genius. At this time, I was... At the time I did a course with Jamie, I was nearly single, and it'd be some time since I was single, I was very rusty with meeting the ladies, I was very nervous about talking to women. And during one day course, he had pointed out that I never used the word I when talking. I would always use we or you, instead of taking personal responsibility of what I was implying that could be done. This was a real eye-opener for me in itself, and, and he taught me some other language patterns, and it was one was about using the word but... He said that when I use the word but, I negate everything I said before it, and the part after it becomes the influential part of the statement. So, for example, if a girl said to me, I'd love to go for a drink, but I'm washing my hair, instead of going bright red in the face and sulking at what a loser I was, I'd just smile and say, so you're washing your hair, but you'd love to go for a drink. The girl would then, somewhat confusing, go, yes, I and I would ask when they wanted to go on a date, as their child just admitted they would like to go for a drink, when the objection was removed. I still use this tactic when getting appointments with people initially, and it works a treat. It's getting them to build that commitment without realising what they've done, because once they've said it, they'll stand by it. Tip number eight is about paying it forward. Doing business has changed in today's business world. Gone are the days when people will just rock up at your shop and buy from you or look you up in the yellow pages. This is purely down to the amount of choice out there of who you can work with. And with the internet, new technology, social media going crazy, what can be offered is so varied and people talk to each other. And it's easier for people to talk to each other now. Just think how fast communications on Twitter go, for example. You need to position yourself as an expert at what you do. People aren't just going to hire you for your services alone anymore. It's because they have to have a relationship with you and trust you. It's got to be there before they'll buy from you. And to do that, you have to know how to pay it forward. Now, there's a film about this with the kid from The Sixth Sense. And his teacher asks his class to do one thing that will make the world a better place. The main character then starts doing favours for people, not expecting anything in return and not waiting for something to be done to return the favour. He's just doing it because he's doing favours and knowing that karma will return bring favours back to him. And think about it, it's a show like My Name Is Earl. The guy just starts doing good things and good things happen to him. This is what paying it forward means. Putting out the free information about you that makes a difference, that it makes you stand out, and it shows people that you can solve their problems, that you're the answer to their prayers. You earn a reputation as being an expert at a particular area, and then when your services are needed, people will automatically think of you. If people have used your free information, they're more likely to return the favour and buy from you when the time is right for them to buy from you. You've created the situation and that environment for them. Tip number nine. People like what is familiar. Humans don't like change. It scares them. They like what makes them comfortable and secure. It means they know their surroundings and can be in control. It's why when you hear 
stories about abused women who won't leave their partners. They're in pain, but at least they know what to expect. The familiar, the familiar pain is more bearable than the unknown future. As a business owner, I'm sure you've learned this, transitioning from being employed to self-employed, you know, it's easy to stay employed and pick up a paycheck. It's easy to put money in the bank and get interest because there's no risk. But it might not get you what you want. So you just become frustrated with your life. This familiar is a very strong concept that influences people. So you need to make it clear with your prospects what familiar will be from you. Will it be regular updates by email, occasional calls, mail shots or, or videos? How are you going to be consistent and make a familiar approach to them so they know what to expect from you? What can you tell them so they know exactly what they will get and nothing is a surprise? Okay, tip number 10, the power of referrals. I'm sure you already know that word of mouth is the biggest way that you can get new business. So... It ties in with paying forward, as mentioned before. You are consistently building relationships regardless of who your paying clients are. Just look at Facebook and Twitter about uh, how Radio's machine got to number one in the UK for Christmas 2009, or how quickly Susan Boyle spread on YouTube. You must have a referral system in place to get people into your sales funnel. Also, if you make referrals a condition of business, it serves a couple of other purposes aside from low-cost lead generation. By asking for referrals, if your client says yes, you know the relationship is good. If they make an excuse or say no, you know you've got to pull your socks up and sort the relationship out. The second big advantage is the social proof and consistency, consistency Cialdini principles in action. You see, if your client refers you, they're committed to saying how good you are, and then they need to remain a client themselves, or they're not being congruent in the eyes of the person they just referred you to. But at the same time, you look good as someone else that's given you a solid recommendation as a seal of approval to another person. Tip number 11, using scarcity without annoying people. Now, scarcity is a huge, big influencing factor. There are two main types of scarcity that you often see used on a daily basis. One is offers that imply there are only a certain amount of items available. And once they're gone, they're gone. This is where you see an offer for a course that says only 10 places available. The second type is about imposing a deadline where you must make a decision as to whether you'll buy or not. So for this week, for example, I saw a voucher for Pizza Express saying pizza for £1 for this week only. The point of using this scarcity is to aid a decision to be made in a specific time frame instead of leaving it open. If you leave it open, your prospects will just continue to think as there is nothing there to imply the decisions needs to be made right now. The lack of a quantity available will imply a feeling of missing out if you don't buy right now. So it's playing on the fear slightly, so you have to be careful how it is used. I had this recently over by a Twitter application. It said only 300 will ever be sold, and it got me. It made me buy it. Unfortunately, I didn't check out why I was buying enough and just ended up going through a refund process as the product was a bit rubbish and it didn't do what it promised. I don't usually fall for this tactic, but it was selling me something I was really interested in and irrational logic took over my thinking. And since there were only 300 left, I thought, I must buy this now. You can also look at when people think something ran out. I remember when uh, the hosepipe bands came into force here in England. The day before the band started, everyone started watering their gardens and hope for because as if it made a difference. Look at what happens when it snows. There's not a single pint of milk or loaf of bread left in the shop. 
look what happens in supermarkets at Christmas when the shops are only closed for one day. Take it to an even more extreme point of view and look around in New Orleans or Haiti when these natural disasters happen. Food stocks got scarce and mob mentality took over where these vigilante groups were just going around looting shops. Scarcity is very powerful, but people are starting to get wise to it nowadays. If it isn't used elegantly, people just get turned off by it. It almost looks as the salesperson is desperate. Now, leading internet marketer Frank Kern noticed this trend and he introduced a new twist on it. It's like a third type of scarcity. He called it the inviting the cool friend along mentality. In his example, he would make an offer, say, about a dating product for men. He'd say only 100 people can get a copy and the doors are only open for a week. Then what he would do, a couple of days after the initial launch, he would then add another cool item to the offer that he forgot to mention. He forgot to say, for the first 10 people who buy, Paris Hilton will spend a day with them as well. Now, if you're a single guy, hanging out with Paris today would probably be pretty cool. So that's the third way of using scarcity that really hits the missing out logic without pulling on the fear too much. It's called the inviting the cool friend along. Let's move on to tip number 12, using testimonials as proof that what you're selling works. Now, social proof is where you've given an example of where something's worked for you and you're allowed to take it away to go, I went from A to B by using this technique or you can get one of your clients to do it for you. This is very powerful because it's that seal of approval that someone's giving you. They're giving you the thumbs up. And people like proof that if they're willing to buy something, particularly with the internet these days, they'll go and search for reviews of those products and services. They want to do some find out on you to see whether you're legitimate and what you're doing actually works. They want to hear the horror stories. They want to see if they can find them. So what you need to do is make sure you've got your evidence about what you're offering and why it's so good and who's given it the seal of approval. Now, what I've done here is I've worked out ways. You could be sitting there at the moment and going, well, I haven't got any proof. Well, I came up with a technique called the, the nine stroke, and it will basically give you nine bits of evidence that you can use very quickly, and all you need to do is just have a quick think about it. So the first three are getting testimonials where I want you to go and look at three of your customers that you're really pleased with and go and talk to them and find out basically go where were you when we started working together and where are you now and basically get that contrast from all three of them and try and get figures in there don't just go oh working with me is really good <clears throat> try and get some actual examples in there of how you help them so it's something really quantifiable uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a number in there that I earned an extra additional £25,000 by working with Don Daniels on this project so go and do that with three customers. So that's your first three strokes. The next three is, I got this from a guy named Frank Kern, who I've talked about a couple of times. He's a really good uh, internet marketer. He says, and this really helps if you're just starting out, is you can borrow stories from other people. Now, this isn't steal, rip off, and use as your own. What this is, is to go and look at someone and work out where they use something and, and turn really well. And, and, and it worked out really well. So, for example, I could talk about, uh, I, I obviously have a personal development background and I use that a lot. And one of the biggest books I read was Think and Grow Rich by a guy named Napoleon Hill. And this was written back in, in the 1930s when in the Great Depression in America. Now, 
what you can do is say so these are the techniques that even Napoleon Hill used all the way back in the 1930s. They're so tried and tested. And then you get, I could give an example of one of the techniques Napoleon Hill used in his book. So you can borrow stories from other people as long as it's the same material products that you're selling. Just make sure it's clear that you're borrowing it. You're not actually applying it that you personally did it. Now, that gives you then six strokes of uh, social proof. You want your last three now. And that's basically your personal stories, where I want you to look at how you used your products or services yourself and how it took you from A to B. So I can say how these are the very same techniques that took me from being a failed businessman to having a flood of new clients and prospects that I could market to every day. I could then follow on that and say, and I learned this from a guy called James Lavers, who earns more than a quarter of a million dollars a year doing these kind of techniques part-time. So again, it fits nicely where I've got my own story, and then I've actually borrowed his proof as well. So you can do that and very quickly have nine pieces of social proof that you can pull out when needed, just to give that evidence and seal of approval about what you do works. Okay, tip 13 about leading your prospects from where they are into the desired buying state. Because that's what sales are, is you're selling feelings that the moment they do a deal with you, that they're getting exactly what they want. And to do that is you've got to understand where your prospect is when you first interact with them. You've got to get build the rapport with them so they're agreeing with you and you can use things like yes setting and pacing and leading so they come into agreement with you. And you have to lead them into the emotional state that's either going to make them jump up and go, yes, you're exactly what I want, let's do it. So it's almost a done deal in their head. That's what you've got to do. You've got to understand where they are when you first interact with them. And you need to understand what's the state you need to get them in in order to buy. And it might not be the same for each person because people have different styles. They have different levels of excitement and energy. You've got to be able to read what that person is and understand how are you going to get them into that ideal buying state by giving them exactly what they want. Once you've got that, they'll buy from you that question. But you've got to understand how to do that. So following on to tip 14 then is showing your prospects that you completely understand how they feel. And one of the things I learned from James Lavers is that if you can understand exactly what the conversation your client's having in your head, that when they first find you, that you can reel something off that when they hear it, they go, wow, this guy totally gets me. That's exactly how I feel. People will like you and bond with you. People like what's familiar. So what you need to do with your products and services, you need to go, I was once ABC. So if I was looking at the self-esteem market, I can go, I was once lost. People were constantly knocking me down and people were walking all over me. So you've got that, that if I said that, that will relate to a very specific person will hear that and go, yes, I can, I can understand that's exactly where I am now. And then you need to go the contrast of where it can go to. So I used to be completely lost, knocked down and let people constantly knock me down and walk over me. But now I have the ability to stand up for myself. I say exactly what I want when I want without feeling guilty. And I know how to do it without causing conflict and upsetting people. So you've got that contrast of understanding how people feel with the ABC and then understanding what the XYZ is, what's the contrast that they actually want, what's their desired result. So that's a good way of being able to understand where people are now and getting them to lead them to where you want to. Tip 15 is people love being given reasons to justify any action that's taken. And people are lazy, so if you can give them a reason that they can use to back up while they're just taking a a course of action they'll use it um 
it makes life easier for them and it's giving them the evidence that what's true. I'm sure you've had this. Uh, Geraldine, Geraldine uses an example of queuing for a photocopier and how people would let people jump the queue if they gave a reason. They just said, could I jump the queue? Not a very high success rate. If someone said, I need to jump the queue because I need to print 25 copies urgently, the person was allowed to jump the queue. And then they did a further experiment. If the person said, I need to make some copies, can I jump the queue? Just because they said, I need to make some copies, they got a better success result. So reasons are really powerful. And I always remember at school, um, my friend Rob didn't do his homework once. The teacher said, why aren't you doing your homework? And he said, oh, it's because I was doing community service. Now, this was a complete lie from Rob, but the reason was that the teacher didn't obviously want to go into that further because it was potentially an awkward situation. So he said, okay, cool, just make sure you've done it by tomorrow. And this was a really strict teacher, but just because Rob gave that reason, it put the, customer, it put the teacher in a situation where it would have been awkward to carry on, but he had a reason that justified why Rob hadn't done it. Um, for example, I wanted to leave work one day. I said, uh, I've got to go to the hospital because my mother-in-law's having her knee done. And it was true, she was in hospital having her knee done. And just because, again, my boss didn't want to go into details of it and he didn't really want to question it, he just said, yes, fine, that's a legitimate reason you can leave work early. So people love reasons. Just make sure that you supply the right ones to them. Tip 16 is actually just it's quite simple. Just use common sense. I can't believe how many times that I see like, people sending stupid emails or just, just not thinking things through. And it's just this like, computer says no mentality or being lazy. Or I know people that get under pressure and just start talking in complete jargon. It's like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make sense whatsoever. You need to be human. And don't treat people like idiots. For example, I was negotiating with a, a party to sign up a well-known brand. And we'd already supplied a couple of their sites uh, through legacy uh, site issues. Um, and I was trying to win the rest of the portfolio. So I spoke to the account manager and explained what the situation was. And they said, oh, can I send an introductory email? And I was like, oh, yes, that makes sense. And then they sent them this stupid standard email saying, oh, what's your billing requirements? And dear so-and-so, who's the point of contact? It's like, well, all this information was already available. We've already been receiving payments from them for about 10 months. And so why did you just send a stupid templated email asking for payment terms and who was paying when we already knew that? It just doesn't use common sense. And it, again, people in marketing tend to go into this, you know, start going, oh, we need to make sure we've got our marketing collateral and we've got to do our segmentation. And it's like, no, you need to just get off your bum and make sure you're delivering something that adds value to the customer. And the more pressure they get under this more random language they start talking. So just be human and make sure you're always just applying a little bit of common sense and think, if I was hearing this, is this what I actually want to hear? Or is this just some generic rubbish that someone's spilling off at me? Tip 17 is to give them what they want. And I got this from a guy named Keith Cunningham. I listened to it in, in an interview I got from, um, it's actually through Dan Bradbury. And it's basically the millionaire's formula is that find out exactly what people want, go and get it for them, and then give it to them. And it's about trying to please that specific person. Don't try and please everyone. Just try and be something, be that expert to that one specific person. And make sure you're in the right place. So, you know, I know there's a lot of people that they go, oh, I'm going to go into business, here's what I'm selling. They don't do any research, they just sell what they think is a good idea. And you know, it, it may be a good idea, but the packaging 
might be wrong. It, it's what you want to hear. It's not what your customer wants to hear. And then you end up in situations where you try to put a square peg through a round hole and it just doesn't go. You always try to shoehorn things in. But if you're willing to step back and find out exactly what your customers want and do that little bit of research and get it exactly what it is, you can then find a round peg to put through a round hole so it's an exact match. And that's where you get into client attraction where people start seeing you as an expert and start coming towards you. Tip 18 is about knowledge is only power when it's used. And this is the thing is, I know so many people go, oh, I've got a degree, I've studied all this, I've done all my NLP, Master Practitioners, I'm a super mega advanced coach. And that's great, and you know lots of information. But the difference is, is people will pay you for your expertise, and that's not just you rehashing what they can go and learn from someone else who is an expert in that. People want to pay you for your experiences. They want to hear where you messed up. They want to hear why you went from being in a totally crap situation to sorting things out. They want to know how you are where they are and where there's a hope that you can get, that they can get to where they want to be. And you only do that if you're taking action and applying these things and getting that real life evidence to context what you're saying. So you're not just reading off someone's theory something else it's you're, you're telling them your story for example i could go and tell you three ways to to grow a business and tell you the theory and that's great but i can also tell you how i did that example of where i didn't use it in the first place my first business sold and then how i turned it around and learned these things and applied them and actually learned the three ways to to grow a business and how that specifically worked for me and that's what people are going to pay you for. But if you just sit there procrastinating and sitting there in silence and not actually doing anything, you're never going to work out that that difference of why should anyone pay you money over anyone else because there's, whatever you're doing, there's other people doing it. It's what makes you different and makes you that you can add that value. People need to understand what's in it for them by working from you. And it's your real life experience that you've got from applying the knowledge you've learned, how you've used it and how they can learn from you and your story, your experience. And you need to take action and use the knowledge to get that, to get that context to use in your examples. Okay, tip 19. Nobody will buy from an uncertain salesperson. So just think about that. If someone came knocking on your door and said, oh, do you want to buy these encyclopedias? And you went, they're any good? And they went, well, they're all right, I'm not sure. Is that really inspiring you to buy from them? But if you're selling something, you have to be damn sure that doing a deal with you is the best decision that anyone can make. They've got to see from you that you are so certain about what you're selling, that you totally get the value. You really believe in this product and service that you're selling because you've got faith in it. You know how good it is. And your certainty is what people are buying because only people are buying a feeling from you. And part of your certainty is what they're buying. That They're looking for a result. They're looking for a specific solution. And by you being certain that you can offer it, that's what they're really buying into. So if you're selling something, you've got to get yourself into a position of complete certainty because no one's going to buy from you unless you're 100% certain about what you are selling. Okay, tip 20. This is all about authenticity. It's about just being yourself, warts and all. If you make a mistake, be prepared to, to show it. Don't try and cover it up and act like everything's okay. Don't try and be something you're not. This is a big thing that people go into business and try and mimic someone else. They try and copy what someone else is doing. And I've been there myself and I realised this is a bit of a disaster. 
because if you're competing with someone who you put in the position of an expert, you're never going to beat them because you're already giving them that status of being your expert, so you can only ever be a follower. And people will go, well, if they're going to get that type of information, they'll just go to see who you see as the expert, because they're obviously better than you. So what you need to do is understand what you want from your business, about what you want from what you're doing, and why that's important to you. So that underpins whatever you then go on and say. So your real authenticity, the real you comes shining through when you're pitching and talking to people. That you're being genuine, genuinely authentic. Because see, authenticity, authenticity sells. People will buy from people. And when it comes to a choice of different people offering the same things, it might be something because of your personality and your authenticity that actually wins you a deal. So you've got to be congruent also to what you're selling so for example i'm an overweight bloke and if i was selling weight loss to someone it's not going to be congruent i can't turn around to someone so well, i can give them some probably some good information to help them lose weight i can't really push that i'd be paid for it because i got following that advice myself to apply that to my own life to specifically lose weight so i wouldn't be congruent doing that i wouldn't be living the standard of what i would be expecting of the people who are paying me to help them achieve something so you've got to be authentic, you've got to be congruent that whatever you're putting out there is true to you and you're actually living your life to the standard you're expecting of that. Tip 21, be aware of different learning styles. Everybody is different. No one is the same. People will pick up any message you give. You could have four people in a room and four people could hear four different things about what you said. People learn in different ways and you've got to adapt to that. Now, from my experience of doing face-to-face -face meetings and sales pitches, I kind of came up with a strategy where I was able to put everyone into one of four categories. They're either a dragon, a puppy, a tortoise or a sheep. So a dragon was someone that just wanted to know the very high level information, how this could help them, and they wanted to be able to decide on it very quickly. So they were the, the no-nonsense people, tend to be the directors, the very important people who were very short on time. They just wanted no fluff, just get straight to the point. So if you're dealing with a dragon, don't give them a full explanation, give them something that gets their attention and let them ask you the questions that they want to find out more. Next is you have puppies, and these are the people in meetings who want to be playful, make sure everything's all right. These are the people that actually make sure that the, the atmosphere in the room's good, that, that actually make the conversation flow. These people are very important. They're normally the, 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 the business people, the, 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 the business development managers, the sales people, the, the people who build the relationships. Um, that, that's probably my most comfortable style myself. But it's been able to adapt that I know that if I'm acting like a puppy, a dragon might get very annoyed with me. Next up is that you have tortoises. Now, these are the people that, well, they're probably the, the biggest category. And these are the people that are actually really good at getting work done. But the problem is, is they won't do anything until they understand absolutely every element of what you're talking about so they will not ask all the details they're, they're the ones that will start getting in my opinion as a puppy will start grating me because they're being why can't they just get on with it and do the work that, that they just got to know absolutely everything before it goes anywhere let's see they're, they're probably the most important people in terms of getting things moving in terms of sorry and actually getting the work done but they're not the people who are going to get things started that's down to the dragons and the puppies to get things moving 
So the final category is then you have the sheep. These are people in the room that will just agree with whatever the flow of the room is. They don't really want to make decisions. They're just going to go with the flow at the end of it. So if you're trying to influence people, the, the sheep might not be necessarily the one that you want to go for. You want to get the tortoises on board and get the dragons driving a project that the sheep will then follow if everyone else signs on to it. What you'll do is you want to know your style in different situations because, say, I could be a dragon. When I'm playing football, my natural style is more of a dragon. In business, I'm more of a puppy. You've got to know your style and know how to adapt in spots to others and spot what's going on with other people. So, for example, if I've got a dragon and a tortoise in a room, what I might do is go give a very high-level overview. And while I'm talking to the dragon, I might hand the tortoise a report with all the details in so they can sit there and scan through it and get the data that they want that supports what I'm talking about. It's being able to adapt your communication to everyone in the room. Tip 22 is what I'm calling John Carlton's gun to the head strategy. Uh, John Carlton is the, the, probably the best copywriter in the, in the recent day and age. That if you want to know about copywriting, go to his website. I think it's called the Marketing Rebel Rant. Sign up for it. Fantastic. But what he did is, is talk about that you've got to get people to shift their beliefs very quickly. And the way to do that is that if you're writing something that you want to, to get people to move quickly, imagine you're doing it in a way that if you were holding a gun to their head, would they make the decision to change? And whatever your message is that you're putting out there has to be the equivalent of that gun to the head. Your marketing collateral, your sales pitch, it has to be that powerful that the person who hears it reacts straight away that they've got no choice. It's either pull the trigger and I die or I get this done so the trigger doesn't get pulled. How do you get that reaction in your prospects? It's a very simple technique, but it's something you just got to think is, what am I saying? Is, that, is this actually going to excite people to move them? Is this actually going to make them take action? So just think that anything you're doing, just think is, if I was holding a gun to your head, is this that equivalent to make someone take action? Tip 23 is you're the average of the people you surround yourself with. And I got this from listening to, again, Dan Bradbury, that one of the things he made a big change in his, his career was when he shifted to a completely different part of the country to hang around with people of a different standard to what he was currently getting. And I can relate to this because... In my life, at times I was earning £20,000 and then £30,000 and then £40,000 and so on. And the difference is, is that I was becoming the average of all the people I was hanging around with. That to earn, the difference between earning £20,000 and £40,000 is a different kind of strategy. And I learned them and picked them up by hanging around with different people. That When I was doing a £20,000 a year, I was new in the work. I was hanging around with people around the same age as me, and we were all on that first journey. But to when I was earning £40,000, I was hanging around with more senior managers, people who have been in this for a long time and learning from them. It's noticed that you become the average of the people that you surround yourself with. So if you want to rapidly increase your income you need to find people that are earning the level that you want to learn and start looking how they live and what they'll do and you will just pick up and learn from them and if you go networking just think about who are the people you hang around with you hang around with people that are actually doing well or not doing well who who's actually following who where are you in the pecking order of the people you're surrounding yourself so you near the tops of people are hanging around you and you're bringing your average down or you're at the bottom where your average is getting picked up You've got to always make sure you're playing your game to your rules. So 
all you want to do is find what it is that you want. Find people who have already done it and start surrounding yourself with these people more and more so you just learn from them and start, without even thinking about it, raising your own standard. Tip 24 is about keeping it simple. People like to make easy decisions. They don't want to have to sit there stressing about it. You know, humans are very good at procrastinating. Successful people make decisions. So what you want to do is you need people to make decisions. You've got to make it really easy for them. So what you need is don't overload them so they shy away from it. Don't make it difficult. Just think about what's the one action that you can get them to take that gives them the commitment to you it's an easy decision so that they feel good when they've made it because then they'll start making their own reasons why they decided to go with it but just take that first commitment and make it easy for them a good example this is in GLD's book where people from uh, say like a charity network will come round and first of all they'll just say oh would you mind if you put this flyer in your window supporting our charity and it's like a pretty small thing to do it's like yeah okay then a couple of weeks later they might get a phone call saying oh you put one of our flyers up are you happy if we put your name on a petition and again the person might say yes and then before they know it the next time someone's coming around with a big board to go in their garden and say could you mind to put this up here because you already said Friday you've already signed the petition and that person's like well I said yes to the first two things so I should really say yes to this as well and so on and so on so it's taking those little bits of little steps and making easy decisions that you can build the commitment from Okay, tip 25, make the decision risk-free for the customer. So again, one of the, the reasons people don't make decisions is because they think there's a risk of, an element of risk involved. What you want to do is just minimise this risk as much as possible. So a lot of business people, they understand there is a risk in anything you, you do. But there's people that have been burnt and they don't want to be burnt again. And that can stop them wanting to do a deal with you. So if you have that certainty and you know what you're offering, is that damn good? Offer them a money-back guarantee. Offer them a double their money-back guarantee. Just give them unbelievable terms that takes away the risk for them. That if they're not happy, they get their money back. And obviously make it sure it's clear on terms that they've got to show up and do their part in that. But if you're that confident in what you're doing and you know it'll make a difference, offer these terms that takes away that decision for them about the risk. Just make sure that they understand what they're paying you for, where you're going to add value, and how, what kind of results you're looking for for the money that they're paying you. Take the risk out of it, and you'll get a lot more business. Tip 26. Okay, three to go. You've got to learn about communication and how it influences people, that you can use words, and you can use tonality, and you can use body language. Now, the most important part in those three is actually your body language, that if you're sitting slumped, that's what people are seeing, and that's probably the most powerful image, so it doesn't really matter the tonality or the words you're saying, because your body language will bring the rest of your energy down. But then again, you could think about tonality, is it more important than words? Because you could call someone an arsehole, and you could say it in a really aggressive manner, like, you're an arsehole, or you're an arsehole, and say it with a big smile on your face, jokingly, and people would think you're joking. So it's got nothing to do with the words because you're saying exactly the same thing. The difference is the tonality and the body language behind it. But then words are important in, in some respects as well because, as you've heard me say before, if you said Paul Gascoigne to me, 
that's a good thing because I remember him scoring in the 1991 FA Cup semi-final. I don't really see him for the, the, the latest story about him being drunk and arrested again on the news. But again, if you saw baked beans to me, to me, it's not going to put him in a good state because it just brings back bad memories to me. So think about the words, think about the tonality and the body language and how you can combine all three of them. If you understand the elements and the control and the power it can give you, you'll become a lot more influential in your communication. Tip 27 is about mind reading. That only mind read if the result that you're getting is positive. Now, what you may think, why am I talking about mind reading? It's very easy to, to go into a situation and let the voices in your head talk you out of what you're going to do, where you assume what someone else is actually thinking and doing. And as a result of your assumption, you then make a decision that doesn't actually get you the result that you want. And an example of that, what I mean is, what am I thinking about you listening to this right now? Am I thinking that you're an inspired business person? Am I thinking that you're low on confidence? Or am I actually thinking, I wonder who is actually listening to this and what type of shoes have they got on? You don't know. You don't know what I'm thinking right now. I don't know what you're thinking right now. But what I do know is that I'm thinking that whatever I'm saying is giving you a hell of a lot of value that's going to help you really get more clients and double your sales. So if I mind read with that, the message behind what I'm doing is a positive intention. It's going to get me a good result, which in turn is going to get you a good result. If I was sitting there thinking, oh, God, no one's going to listen to this and they're not going to apply it and it's going to be useless whatever they hear, then the value of this, this audio doesn't work either. But I know what I'm talking about is very valuable if you use it. So think about the mind reading element of are you actually assuming anything and then what's the positive intention of the assumption that's going to get you what you actually want? And here we go, tip 28, the final tip. Wow, we've covered a lot today. Well, it's about make the conversation about your prospect. You've got to make sure that you listen more than you talk. You've got to be interested in what the person's saying. And they'll tell you exactly what they want. You just might have to ask them a few probing questions to get them exactly where you want. Then aligns to what you can offer them. So you can just quickly repackage your offer to meet exactly what they've told you they're looking for. And as they talk and tell you, you'll spot the problems that they're talking about and you know you'll have the solutions for them. It's just, again, it's the packaging of how you present that to them. This is probably the biggest tip I could to give you in sales that don't make it about you, make it about them. Just imagine you've always got whatever you're selling is a big toolkit and it's just about how you wrap it up and present it to them so it solves their headache, not so you're ramming something to them they don't actually want. Okay, we're going to finish this off now because you've just had 28 ways to influence your prospects and get more sales. So this has been a major download of information for you and I do understand that. So just pick through one or two ideas that you've got from listening to this and just go try them out. Go implement them. And then when you've got them working, come listen to this CD again. And again, just pick one or two of the gems out. And gradually your toolkit will grow. And you'll find yourself just naturally using these techniques because that's how they're supposed to be used. They're not something you can go and force. They're just something that becomes a natural behavior for you because you get the psychology of influence. Also, don't forget, go and buy Robert Cialdini's book because it, it's just an amazing book that will help you. And it supports everything that I've just told you in the last hour or so. So I'm John Daniels, this was Double Your Sales, the Influence Masterclass, and I look forward to speaking to you real soon.